This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. Then make sure they threaten to kill you and then you'll really have a high status before God. That's not the point. Well, Josh, what's the point? The point is this. The author is saying this. Church, listen. Make sure your faith is so deeply and strongly rooted in Christ that if the point comes where you have to make a decision to sacrifice the world to gain Jesus, it won't be a hard decision. Faith in Jesus often costs you something. What does that mean? Well, every day you're faced with the choice of whether you will live for the world or for eternity. Will your life be focused on sharing the love of Jesus with others? Or will your life be focused on finding pleasure and happiness in this life? You can live for Jesus and have happiness here and now, but your heart can only worship one God. In today's message, Pastor Josh will teach you why it's so important to ground your life in living for Jesus. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. As he continues his message, faith declares Jesus is better. David is a man after God's own heart who also happened to be an adulterer and a murderer. Even when he was king, he was a lackluster father who struggled with the discipline and the raising of his children. Yet he constantly found himself struggling with depression and anxiety and yet would always seem to come back to God is my strength. I will trust in the Lord. I will humble myself before God. Samuel was a faithful prophet who walked closely with the Lord, yet he made his degenerate sons rulers in Israel over God's people and didn't deal promptly with their sins and disobedience. Yet all of these people and more experienced the incredible power and victory of their God through faith and made it into this Hebrews chapter 11, which tells me something very encouraging. God chooses to remember our spiritual legacy, not by our moments of failure, but by our moments of faith. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. God doesn't condone sin and failure. It's not like God's out there saying, hey, can you guys really screw up so I can finally use you? No. Every single person on that list and people close to them paid dearly for their sin, for their disobedience, for their failure, for their weakness, for their bad decisions, for their insecurities, for their fear. There's always a price to be paid by sin. So don't hear me wrong. We should avoid sin and disobedience at all costs. But here's the other side of that. Even the best of men are men at best. We are all human. We are not getting out of this life without some sort of failure. All of us are going to make a bad decision into the response of the lust of our flesh. All of us are going to make a decision out of insecurity and fear. All of us are going to make bad relational decisions based on our bitterness and our anger and our hatred. We're all going to do things that cause us to stumble. But here's the bigger question. Not did you fail, but what did you do with your failure? Did you choose to trust God? Or did you choose to let your failure define you 
and take you away from Christ. Because let me tell you something, and I'm almost done. I think there might be someone in here that really needs to hear this. Your failure in life will tempt you to believe that the only direction for you to go is toward hopelessness. There's no hope for you anymore. God's done with you. You can't go back and change the past. You'll hear all these things. And there's some truth in regret because regret is usually based on things that actually happened. But you need to know something about our God. God is not interested in you living in your regret. He's interested in you turning to him and experiencing his redemption. But do you have the faith to trust God, to repent of your sin, to make amends where needs to be done, and to say, Lord, if you can, I know you can. If you're willing, I know you're willing. Use me again. It's never too late to turn back to faith. Well, thirdly and finally, again, this is the most sobering passage, I think, of the book. So stick with me through it. Third attribute of faith we find in this portion of Scripture is that faith values Christ over everything else. True faith values Christ over everything else. I mentioned this at the start of our message, those Descriptions of faith we just read, aren't those the kind of things we all want? We like the idea of shutting the mouths of lions, becoming mighty and valiant in battle, working righteousness, obtaining the promises, seeing the dead raised to life. Amen. You go on YouTube today, you type in inspirational sermon. You're just going to get a list a mile long of your victory, your breakthroughs right around the corner. It's all about you. It's all about what you're going to get from God. And you just need to have faith. That's what you're going to find. But I guarantee you that American Christianity, you will rarely hear a sermon on the final verses of Hebrews chapter 11. Remember, it's the same faith. In fact, Paul would suggest that the nameless heroes at the end of chapter 11 actually hold the highest place of regard in heaven. And who are they? Let's read it. Verse 35. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Isaiah the prophet was sawn in two. Zechariah was stoned. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. When you read the list of things here that were obtained by faith, some might think, yeah, I might have second thoughts about living that life of faith, actually. It was all nice when it was all about winning and receiving my healing and having the victory, and being on top. But what is this? Here we don't see a list of wealth, and health, and prosperity, and obtained promises, and popularity, and favor, and healing, and security. We find a set of saints who are described by two main categories, physical persecution, and physical destitution. We see poverty, and persecution, and affliction, and torment, and the loss of worldly goods, and the loss of worldly homes. And does God look at these people and condemn their faith? Oh, you know, brother, if you only had more faith, your life would be wealthier and healthier and more prosperous and more secure. 
No, in fact, God says, your faith is so refined and so pure that this stinking world is not even worthy to have you on it. Wow. Of whom the world is not worthy. I love that phrase because there are so many people that think so highly of themselves, right? They count others not worthy of their presence based on their worldly accomplishments or their title or their wealth or their status, their money, their power. Yet God looks at all those people and says, you know what, the world can have them, but they can't have these ones. These ones whose allegiance and value of Christ is so high that there is nothing in this world as attractive as him. There's nothing in this world that they would not gladly release and let go of if it meant honoring the God that they believed in by faith. They look forward, the Bible says, to a better resurrection. That's Old Testament saints looking at suffering in life, not compromising, giving up their things, giving up their very lives because they're looking ahead at something they can't see yet, but they know by faith, one day I'm going to be with my creator. One day he is going to come back. One day he's going to make everything right. And the thought of heaven is what caused them to have a clear contrast in their hearts and their affections and their priorities between God and the world. This is what drove Paul to be able to say with great confidence, I am convinced that the sufferings of this time, this, the temporary sufferings of this time, are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. He says, I look at the world and all that I'm suffering because of my commitment to Jesus, and I think, I have no conflict. There's no like, should I have the world or should I have Jesus? Which one is more attractive? Which one's better, long run? What, what am I willing to let go of and what am I not willing to let go of to like put a boundary up? You know, Jesus, you can have this much, but certainly not that much because I want to hold on to this. Paul says, I can't even think of a comparison. Those two things don't even hold the same value in my mind. I'll suffer the loss of all things to gain Christ, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. But here, as we look at this group of people, we note that concerning the world, and I want to say concerning the world, Faith doesn't always seal your deliverance. Sometimes it ensures your destruction. And I know that's a hard statement. I'm saying in this world, ultimately, it doesn't seal your ultimate destruction. Why? Because in the end, we win. Jesus wins. The world loses. Jesus wins. That is why Paul could say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, when he looked at the difficulties he was enduring in life, he said, you know what? We are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. We are persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We are struck down, but we're not destroyed. We're always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our body. And so Paul knew suffering, right? That whole list, he was shipwrecked, he was imprisoned, he was taken outside of a city and stoned and left for dead, he was chased by assassins, he was lowered down a basket from a wall. He, I mean, he didn't have the comfortable life of safety. 
And Paul looked and he contrasted. He said, yes, we're hard-pressed on every side in this world, but we're not crushed because Christ sustains us. We're perplexed about this circumstance. We don't get what's going on right now, but we're not in despair because God's in control. We're persecuted. They're taking our stuff. They're threatening our life. They're beating us up, but we're not forsaken because Jesus is with us. We're struck down. The world looks like it has won, but we're not destroyed because ultimately God wins. And yet we live in a day and age that Paul warned us about. He told us, 2 Timothy 3, that in the last days, people would be, quote, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That even there would be, listen, I didn't write this. I don't want to say it. There would be an appearance of godliness, but denying the power thereof. He said, from such things turn away. Again, don't hear what I'm not saying. There's nothing in this passage that is exhorting us to try to become these people. In other words, the author's point is not, go try to find a way to suffer more so that God will like you more. (laughs) That's not the point. The author's not like, so as a result, you should go sell everything you have, Go find somewhere you can get persecuted and thrown in jail, and then make sure they threaten to kill you, and then you'll really have a high status before God. That's not the point. Well, Josh, what's the point? The point is this. The author is saying this. Church, listen. Make sure your faith is so deeply and strongly rooted in Christ that if the point comes where you have to make a decision to sacrifice the world to gain Jesus, it won't be a hard decision. Root your faith and your love and your affection so deeply in Christ that if and when persecution comes, decisions come where you have to put yourself in danger, threats come, the loss of everything you hope to achieve in this world, when they come, It's not even a second guess in your mind as to which one you're going to choose. Because you know something better is ahead in Christ. And we have had the blessing. Maybe I can call it a blessing and a curse. I I think it's more of a blessing of being very padded. For a lot of us, we've been able to live faithfully to Christ and live comfortably in the world at the same time. Yeah, we've all gone through trials, we've all gone through testings, we've all gone through sicknesses and, you know, all those things. But not many of us have been pressed to the point of making a decision of what we have in the world and what we have in Jesus. And I know I might not win, if you're visiting today, your your return visit, but I would be wrong not to exhort you and maybe not even exhort, maybe just present you with the fact that Jesus is so much better if we would only taste and see how good he is. Everything would change. And I think this is what troubles me the most about what's known as the prosperity gospel and teachers and American um, progressive pastoral celebrities. You know, I've noticed something about the prosperity doctrine. 
The prosperity teaching always produces prosperity for the person teaching it. Not for the third world Christian on the verge of starvation who just had their house burned down by some communist dictator. Progressive Christianity and leftist Christian propaganda work fine in a free society where people can gain a social media influence and enjoy the benefits of their freedom while criticizing it at the same time, while writing their newest book on how God would be a leftist Democrat social worker, while sipping a latte from the balcony of their lakefront mansion. But how many best-selling Christian authors do you know from North Korea, China, Iran, Afghanistan? Why? Because Christians there don't have time to pridefully contemplate their navel and redefine God. They're desperately holding on to Jesus and his word just to get them through the next day. And my fear, I speak for myself and not for God, although I have a sense in my heart, is that if we as the church in America don't steward our freedom for his purposes better, then we might rightfully just lose it. And quite frankly, it might be the best thing that ever happened to us. Not that I'm voting for it or, (laughs) you know, if it happens, it won't be because I didn't try to do my part. (laughs) But I fear, and since I'm already in deep, I might as well say it. I I drove by Civic Center Park a couple days ago. It was packed. You know, thousands of red jerseys. Here comes the Chiefs. Big concert going on, you know, people everywhere. Oh, this is cool. I love seeing people in our town, like outside and doing stuff. I was encouraged by that. And Josh, you're going to beat up on the Chiefs again. No, listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. I had nothing against the Chiefs, nothing against football, nothing against sports, nothing against the enjoyments of the things that, that God's blessed us with in this life. Nothing. But I think what challenged me the most is, When is the church in St. Joseph going to fill up that park for a night of prayer? Because while the chiefs are fun to enjoy, our community doesn't need the chiefs. They need Jesus. And they need people who are totally sold out for the cause of Christ. And so may we be challenged by the example of these unnamed saints who, for the hope of heaven, and their commitment to the truth and their love for God. We're willing to endure the loss of all things. Why, verse 39 and 40 closes, all these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise. In other words, they lived their whole life by faith and they didn't even get to see Jesus. Why? God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. In other words, A lot of their waiting was so that God in his perfect time could reveal his salvation to us. That ought to humble us so that we, along with them, could all be saved through the sacrifice of Jesus. Chuck Smith put it like this, the sacrifices they made were all made in faith as they looked forward to the sacrifice that God would one day make when he would send his only begotten son. I am amazed too. So as we come to a close of our study in Hebrews 11, what's faith all about? He sums it up in these words. So then, therefore, because you're surrounded by such great a cloud of all these witnesses, let us run with endurance the race set before us, 
fixing our eyes on Jesus. The challenge of Hebrews 11 can be summed up in that one statement. What matters to you more, the world or Jesus? Faith determines, reveals, exposes. And so in closing, here are the 20 attributes of biblical faith, according to Hebrews 11. A recap very quickly on all of our five studies. Faith proves eternal realities. It's the evidence of things unseen, the things hoped for. Faith believes in the power of God's word because it created the heavens and the earth. Faith sacrifices the temporal for the eternal. Faith walks closely like Enoch did with God. Faith believes the best about God, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith seeks to please God. Faith prepares for the unseen future, just as Noah did. Faith obeys in the face of the unknown. Faith trusts in God's faithfulness. Faith embraces the pilgrimage that we are pilgrims on this earth, just as Abraham and Sarah did. Faith doesn't look back to where you came from, but looks forward to where God wants to take you. Faith seeks a better eternal country. Our hope is not rooted in this one. Faith practices relentless obedience towards God. Faith proclaims God's promises for what's ahead. Faith obeys God above man. Faith identifies with Christ despite the cost. Faith receives the salvation that God offers. Faith trusts in God's method and power. Faith triumphs despite our weaknesses. And faith endures through every worldly difficulty. And that might be a lot to swallow. How am I going to do that? You do exactly what the man did when Jesus asked him the question in healing his child. Everything is possible if you believe. And what did he say? I do believe. But Lord, help my unbelief. Let's pray. Lord, we bow our hearts and our knees before you. We recognize, Lord, that our life with you is so much bigger than what we see here and now. It's so much bigger than the challenge we're facing in a moment or the decisions we have to make. Lord, our life is part of your plan. And I pray that you broaden our perspective and that you inspire within our hearts and within our church great faith. Faith that would believe that you have told us, behold, I have given you this city. That would set out on that march. That would believe you for the best. Even in a world that is dying and decaying and falling apart, that in Christ we have the victory. So Lord, we walk by faith and not by sight. Give us unwavering confidence in you. And Lord, as we share together in communion, we pray that the weight of joy and of holiness that is your sacrifice on the cross, that we would sense it, that we would feel it, that we might let it challenge us to the actions that you are calling us towards. Be them small or great. Thanks for joining us today for Pastor Josh's study from the New Testament book called Hebrews. We hope you've been encouraged in your love of God 
and your love of the people of this world. If you'd like more information about The Ascending Life or would like to hear other teachings from Pastor Josh, visit our website at theascendinglife.com. We have an array of messages from different topics gleaned from God's Word, available in video and audio format. Feel free to download these messages and take them on the go as well. It's always great to add a bit of God's Word to every situation. And in this fast-paced world we're a part of, that can change the mood of a day in an instant. You'll also find links on our website to our social media pages, and we'd love to connect with you there. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram to stay up to date with everything happening at The Ascending Life and Grace Church. You'll find links to both at graceontheweb.org. If you're in the St. Joseph area, we'd be honored to have you join us at Grace Calvary Chapel for our weekly service. You'll find all the information you need about our church, service times, and locations at theascendinglife.com. Not in the area? No worries. You can still join us this Sunday for worship via our live stream. Just visit theascendinglife.com to connect. Thanks for being a part of our listening audience. We hope you've been encouraged by what Pastor Josh shared. There's much more to learn from the book of Hebrews, so be sure to join us next time right here on The Ascending Life. We're reaching up, we're pressing